Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded, from Disaster Recovery Journal and its flawless business resilience. Now, here's your host, Vanessa Vaughn. Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. I am your host, Vanessa Vaughn, the founder and resilience officer of Asphalus Advisors. We have a great guest lined up for you today, speaking on the topic of crisis communications for public libraries. So let's jump right in and meet our guest, Cordelia Anderson. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Cordelia is the CEO of Cordelia Anderson Consulting, and just want you to kind of start us off with what our listeners can learn more about you and how you got into the world of crisis communications. Sure. Well, you know, I got a master's degree in English literature, so I never imagined myself being in the world of crisis communications, but I ended up working in public relations and marketing for 20 years. And so crisis communications is something that I learned on the job over those two decades. You know, early in my career, I observed other people doing crisis communications, you know, because I was a younger person and still kind of learning the industry. I even worked for a consultant really early on who trained executives on how to handle crisis communications, which was really interesting and really good experience. But I would say my first experience as a leader doing crisis communications came when I was director of marketing and communications for a small pre-K through eighth grade private school. This was in 2006, 2007, when sadly at that time, and even more so today, concerns over school shootings were becoming more common. And so it was a Montessori-inspired school, which meant it had a very open campus And there was a lot of concern on the part of parents and teachers. So I took it upon myself to create a campus-wide crisis plan. And we ran things like lockdown drills and stuff like that. Then in 2008, I became director of marketing and communications for Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, which is a huge library system. At the time, we had 24 locations open to the public seven days a week. And we had two large facilities within the urban core of the city one of those serving youth ages zero through 18. So I remember walking into that youth facility one day with my own children and realizing, oh my gosh, if anything happens here, it is on me. So that was a sobering moment, but also really a kickstart to my interest in crisis communications and planning. Wow, 24 locations at a public library. That seems like a lot of people, lots of community members, lots of stakeholders. Absolutely. Let's go a little bit deeper into that. What is the scope of crisis communication specifically for public libraries? Like, what's your focus? Who would your your stakeholders be? And then understanding that you also have the public. How does all that work? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's not a simple process, but, um, (laughs) you know, you, you start with baby steps. So, you know, I think the first thing everyone thinks about with a large public institution like that, and kind of the first thing I thought about was really safety and security incidents. And that absolutely is a top priority to be prepared for those kinds of things. They happen very quickly and you have to be prepared and there's a lot at stake. You know, I find often it's the communications professionals who are the ones who help others in the organization really see the value of having the crisis response plan. And you really need to have that in place first before you develop a crisis communications plan, because of course that is supposed to you know, feed off of the crisis response plan. But what I didn't know then, you know, back in 2008, which I learned later when I got my accreditation in public relations from PRSA, is that there's actually 
three types of crises, and all of these are in scope for public libraries. One is your immediate crisis, and then you have your emerging and sustained crises. So like an immediate crisis includes your security incidents, like we talked about before, and those are the ones that you've got to practice and drill for because they have, as I said, you know, very little lead time and very high stakes. But the other two are really important to learn about, too. Um, and I think a lot of times people aren't really aware of the other two until they happen to them. So an emerging crisis is really something that's brewing, that you're aware of, and it hasn't happened yet, but it could affect your organization in a really profound way. It could affect your reputation as an organization. And, you know, one example of that that really applies to libraries is data retention. You know, libraries have a huge amount of customer data. And if that is vulnerable to, say, hacking or cyber attack, that could be an example of an emerging crisis. A more common one that we don't always think of this way would be a weather incident. So, you know, I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where it's snowing right now. Um, and I know my friends at the library are working behind the scenes to manage that. There's a whole process for, you know, when you have a hurricane or a large winter storm on determining the safety of customers and staff and whether you're going to open or close and then communicating about that. So that would be an emerging crisis. And then a sustained crisis is the really the one that you don't think about at all. But those are long-term issues that can impact your reputation. And they are the hardest because they require long-term work. And oftentimes, you're kind of rebuilding an organization's reputation. When they're happening, too, because they are sustained and they can last anywhere from months to years, you can also have the other two types of crises on top of that. And then you get a situation where you're managing several crises at once. And I remember someone once saying to me, you know, be prepared to be up to three or four crises deep at any one moment. And I remember when that first happened to me, I thought, oh, this is what they were talking about. To give you a specific example, when I was at Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, we had a sustained budget crisis. So the impacts of the recession when they hit Charlotte a couple of years later, we had a severe public funding crisis that resulted in layoffs and library closures, as well as a major public outcry because our community really loved the library. The impacts of that lasted for several years, and we were under really intense scrutiny during that whole time because people really cared about the library. But just because that was happening didn't mean that we didn't also have things like, you know, safety and security incidents, weather incidents like we've talked about. And then on top of that, you know, we had investigative reporters submitting public records requests because they were, you know, looking for stories because we were top of mind in the community and all of these things we had to be monitoring, managing, they were all potential risks and they all needed communications. And so it was really important that we were on top of that all the time and constantly thinking with a crisis communications mindset. Fortunately for us, all of these ended very positively. And in big part, that was because everyone understood the importance of staying on top of these potential crises. And more importantly, keeping communications in the room where the decisions were being made. And that is so critical. And that set us up in a good place for when later even bigger things happen, like the Democratic National Convention came to Charlotte in 2012, and The Daily Show filmed out of one of our facilities. So that was a big one. And then in 2015, President Barack Obama came and conducted a town hall in one of our libraries. So again, because we'd had all that practice through all those other sustained and emerging crises, we were that much more prepared when we had these incredibly huge events that were impacting our organization. So what about different events as it relates to nonprofits or 
organizations that you all may work with that may either donate or that you have some big partnerships with? Does that also play a role from a crisis communication standpoint? Oh, absolutely. Because when it comes to things like donors, partners, et cetera, reputation is key. So we had a crisis communications plan. We also had a communications plan. And one of the goals in that communications plan was for the community to view us as good stewards of community resources and also to view us as a good investment of their dollars, of their time, of their talent, and of their partnerships. So in other words, if we didn't have a good reputation, people wouldn't want to give us their donations. They wouldn't want to partner with us. So we were constantly very focused on building up that reputation, especially after that funding crisis, which created some confusion, you know, some mixed feelings in the community, especially when you're closing branches. Nobody wants to see their neighborhood branch close um, or see their, their, you know, their friendly librarian lose their job. So even after we rebuilt from that and were able to hire back a lot of people, you know, re-expand our hours, we knew we had work to do to rebuild our reputation. It was really lovely because in 2013, we launched a foundation that began raising private funds for the library, which we hadn't had before. And the community, the groundswell of community support around that foundation and then building over the five years since then has been just wonderful to see. It really does show the value of reputation management and good crisis communications planning. So then what are some of the challenges that you see libraries face? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I just spoke to a big library marketing conference in St. Louis last month, and we all face a lot of the same challenges. And and I say we because even though I don't work for a library anymore, I still am very committed to public libraries as an industry. You know, one of the challenges is libraries like to focus on the positive. You know, they don't often want to think about these issues. Libraries have been riding a wave of community goodwill for a century, at least. So they, you know, they don't always want to think, but one that one emerging crisis for libraries is really the relevancy question. Unfortunately, you go to a cocktail party, you say, I work for a library and people will often say, oh, do we really need libraries anymore? You know, I just have Google. I just have my Kindle. And we have to be able to answer that question in a real and meaningful way. And that is something libraries are really struggling with. You know, I think libraries, similarly to nonprofits and and smaller government entities, are also often under-resourced in their communications department. So they don't have a lot of time, staff, or money to devote to things like crisis communications and reputation management. They tend to be stuck in tactical mode of, oh gosh, I've got to promote this program or this service. And they're not necessarily stepping back and looking at the big picture in the way that they would like to. You know, and then the other thing with crisis is you don't have a crisis happening every day, so you get out of practice. And so unless you're, again, revisiting that, unless you're drilling and practicing on a semi-regular basis, you can really be caught off guard. And the main thing I mentioned earlier is that being at the table, different libraries are structured in different ways. And in, in many instances, the head communications officer is not part of the top director level of the library. And so they're not always at the table when decisions are being made, that can be really challenging. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I remember growing up and my mother took me to the library every Saturday and I would read books and I knew how to navigate a library. And today I meet a lot of young people that don't know how to navigate that world. They don't know what to do when they step inside of the building because they use Google for everything. So I can imagine just the importance of really how technology has changed the way that we hold a book and 
how tough it may be to reestablish, to your point, to reestablish the value of why a, a library is so critical. Yeah, absolutely. And it and it takes being, first of all, being willing to acknowledge that this is an emerging crisis and, you know, putting the resources and energy into how you respond to that now and not waiting until it becomes a funding crisis or it becomes a bigger issue. You know, I will say we faced that relevancy issue when we had our big funding crisis in 2010. I think people viewed our library system as very popular, but not necessarily critical to the community. The public outcry certainly helped reestablish that we were very critical to the community. But we also realized that we had to reposition ourselves more as an educational institution and not just a place for recreation. You know, I think we've been very focused on events being a reason to come to the library. And we had to re-remind ourselves and the community that we were so much more than that, that we were, you know, critical. We were part of the life system of the community. We were educational support. We were early literacy. And we actually, you know, worked to include that messaging for years and years and years and were able to watch as attitudes really did shift. And, and that included attitudes of our funders, you know, which really helped sustain the organization. How did you strategically manage your, the multiple stakeholders that you have from the community to the donors to the public sector, as well as your partners? And then secondly, what advice or recommendations do you have for others who may be in your same position with some of those challenges that you mentioned? What can you provide them to give them some feedback on what they can do differently or what they can think about to help them in their organization? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, first on the the stakeholder question, you know, again, when we went through that funding crisis, a lot of this was figuring out exactly what was happening and how to respond. And one of the things we did was kind of map out our audiences. A lot of times people will think of, oh, you've got your internal audience and your external audience and, and that's it. But we really kind of realized there were three audiences. You had internal, external, and then funding stakeholders. And I think that was a really important distinction to make because your messaging is going to be different for each of those audiences. And one of the things that was really helpful for our staff who were, you know, incredibly stressed out during this time was to show them the pressure that you're feeling is real because you are stuck in the middle between the external audience who is demanding more library and the funding stakeholders who have reduced our funding, which means you are delivering less library to the community right now. Seeing how those audiences were positioned in relationship with each other was incredibly helpful for us in developing strategies because we had to communicate to our internal audience, our, our staff, our board, our volunteers, what to say to those external audiences when they basically were complaining, hey, why are you not open as many hours or why did you close my branch? And then we also had to shift our messaging, as I said, to those funding stakeholders because they were the ones who didn't really, who we hadn't been doing a good job of explaining why we were so essential and critical to the community. And we actually just literally, you know, mapped those out and we had a communications plan where we listed every single segment under each of those categories. And we even went so far as to create like templates first in Word and then in Basecamp, which is a project management software. So anytime we would have any kind of crisis, we had it all mapped out already. And it was just a matter of going through and, you know, assigning and accomplishing tasks so that we wouldn't forget anybody, you know, making sure you don't leave any audiences out is really important. So we made sure we did that. And, and also keeping a roster of those really important people that you'd need to notify 
and making sure that was part of the overall continuity of operations plan. So it's really important to kind of know who those audiences are and then to keep it really accessible and top of mind so that you can just instantly respond when you need to. Um, so that's a lot. And then to your second <laughs> question, you know, as far as advice for people who are tasked with communicating on behalf of the library, I've said it a couple times. I'll say it one more time. You have to really advocate to have communications at the table when decisions are made. You know, there's an old saying, and I'm probably saying it wrong, but you can't communicate yourself out of a crisis that you operated yourself into. And that is absolutely true. There are so many crises that you would, you can actually just avoid happening at all if you have your PR, your communications person at the table. And then the other really important thing would be to make sure that your organization has a crisis response plan. As I mentioned before, you know, when I was at that school, we didn't have one and, and I created one because I was concerned about the safety of the campus. But then when I was studying for my accreditation, there was an experienced leader who was speaking to us who did communications for a nuclear power plant. And she said, you know, make sure your organization has a crisis response plan, but don't let them put you in charge of it. <laughs> and that was a real lesson for me of, oh, okay. I need to work with the people who are in charge of this to make sure they know what the plan is, but then I need to then advocate for why we need that communications plan on top of it. So right. that that's really important. If, if your organization doesn't know what it's doing, you can communicate wonderfully, but if what you're communicating is a mess, that's not good. I was fortunate to you know work with people who really saw the value of having that kind of plan. It was a relief to me knowing that we knew what we were going to do if something happened. Right. Because you don't want to make it up in the middle of it. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> and, so, and honestly, you can't plan for everything, you know, mm -hmm. so you still end up making up some of it. But it, that's why it's always good to have a strong foundation of the basics and then you customize it to your different situation. I know one time we had a reputation crisis around a, a mother breastfeeding in the library that's not something I would have ever built into my communications plan, but having that foundation there allowed me to then customize it for that situation, you know, and, and learn and grow from that experience. That's interesting. So you mentioned continuity of operations planning and most of our subscribers have a extensive background in business continuity. Can you help us and just kind of paint the picture on how you see the intersection of crisis communications and business continuity or continuity of operations? Yeah, definitely. And communications is such a critical part because you can have a wonderful continuity of operations plan, but if you can't communicate about it, it's not going to function the way it's supposed to. If you can't communicate about your continuity plan, you may as well not have a plan in a sense because nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing. So it's very important to have your communications people part of that continuity plan and advising you on how to communicate each step. I remember like way back in the day, we started with a flu pandemic plan back when that was really hot in libraries. Everybody's like, oh no, you know, swine flu, we need to have a flu pandemic plan. And that was our only plan. You know, we hadn't planned for anything else, just flu. But later we you know, adapted that into our larger continuity of operations plan. But even when it was just a flu plan, we understood the need for communications along the way. So you've got to have that. And then you've got to kind of get everyone in the habit of telling communications people first, if there is an issue or a potential issue. So if, if you think you're going to have to use your continuity of operations plan, or, you know, there's something coming down the pipeline that you're concerned about, 
make sure your communications people know about it. And they are one of the first people that you tell because they're going to need to be prepared. Because again, if you're going to navigate through whatever issue this is with your reputation intact, you need your communications people on top of it. And I, and I can actually give you a very specific example. I think it was in 2016, you know, Charlotte had a very sad moment where we had a shooting of a gentleman named Keith Lamont Scott by a police officer. And we had riots in the city of Charlotte, peaceful protests that turned violent. Half of our leadership team was on the other side of the country visiting libraries in Seattle and the Washington area. And I was one of the few directors who was there, myself and our HR director and our and some of our associate directors. And we had to step up, you know, and run the organization with half our leadership gone. And that really is a continuity of operations issue when when half your leadership is out of pocket. You know, we were only two to three blocks away from where incidents were happening. Um, at one point, there was someone who was shot and killed just two blocks away from our facilities. And, and again, one of our facilities was serving youth ages zero to 18. So we had a really big responsibility to keep our staff and our customers safe. You know, that is where our continuity of operations plan was really valuable. And then the communications around that was so important so that people knew what we were doing to make sure our employees were communicating with us about what was happening in the location deciding when to be open because the community needed us, but also if safety was a big enough concern when we needed to close and send our staff and our customers home. That was a really important example where communications worked seamlessly with HR, with facilities. And we did that with a lot of leadership who were very supportive, but weren't able to be there to help us in the day to day. Yes, I remember that. I was actually in Charlotte when that happened. And it's just another example of really not knowing how external factors can impact your organization, your workforce, and those that walk in and out of your doors every day. Do you have any published materials and or any places where our listeners can find you online? Yes, um, absolutely. I've done a lot of different written materials and all of those are available at my website, which is CordeliaAndersonAPR.com. So my name, APR.com. I'm also adding new content there all the time. So like I recently wrote a blog post about doing good communications during weather incidents, which we talked about a little bit here. And then of course, I'm on Facebook under Cordelia Anderson Consulting. I'm on Twitter at CordeliaBA. And then, of course, on LinkedIn. So I know you also have a newsletter. How can our listeners get in tune with your newsletter? Sure. Um, They can subscribe, again, from my website, CordeliaAndersonAPR.com. Well, there you have it. Thanks for tuning in to Business Resilience Decoded with the Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. Look out for future episodes. Business Resilience Decoded is produced and edited by John Seals. For more information, visit drj.com slash decoded and asphalusadvisors.com slash decoded. Write to us on Twitter at drdecoded. decoded.